0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to worship on this first Sunday in Lent. Whether you are gathered electronically in the comfort of your own homes or maybe a hotel room where you're staying, or whether you are here in the sanctuary gathered in this place that we call the Village Church, we all are the Village Church come to worship the living god so let us be called together in worship as we read responsively from the 119th psalm remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope this is my comfort in my distress your promise is in my life your statutes have been my songs wherever i make my home I remember Friends, let us worship the living God.
1: It's always a little less frightening a little less intimidating to do the hard stuff with another person with other people around you confession is hard stuff it's admitting that we are not now or or ever have been perfect and that we need forgiveness so let's come before God and do the hard stuff together let's confess before God oh God who alone can probe the depths of the heart. You hear the prayer of the humble and justify the repentant sinner. We confess that we have been blind to the reality of Your presence in our lives. We have been deaf to the truth and power of Your Word, and we have been numb to the gentle nudging and directing of Your Spirit. Forgive us, Lord, Lead us into all truth that we, being steadfast in the faith, may increase in love and in all good works and enter into everlasting life through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. God's mercies are new every single morning. This morning we have received the brand new mercies of Christ and I declare to you, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Christ be with you. And also with you. As we prepare to greet one another, we'd like to invite our fifth grade and younger to meet the Sunday school leaders in the back to go to their class, and our youth to go to the youth room where they are already begun to meet together and begin to have their classes. So let's turn and greet each other with a warm good morning and God bless.
0: Apologies to the folks in the maroon robes behind. You won't be the best choir here today, sorry. (laughs) It's just the way it is. Erica, thank you for leading our kids in the kids' choir. By the way, um, our kids' choir is kind of new as of this year. Again, restarted after COVID and all that good stuff. If you have little kids in your household, in your sphere of influence, give us a call and get them involved with this wonderful, wonderful ministry. Uh, I would say that maybe some of you could aspire to joining the kids' choir, but looking around you uh, around here, all of you are timed out. There's just no hope for you. But there we are. There we are. Thank Thank you to Erica. I uh, want to say as well a, a word of welcome to John Russell. John was our, you were the tenor section leader here for a while, is that right? Yeah, way, way long time ago. So uh, <laughs> Juan Carlos is away at a conference, so John, is, as he has often does graciously agreed to come back and direct the choir. Great to have you with us this morning, sir. Let me mention just a few other things that we need you to know about. First of all, today at 5.30, there will be a congregational meeting held via Zoom. This is an important meeting where you'll hear an update on the financial status of the church, vote on terms of the call of the pastor, and then I'll be giving a brief state of the church report. At 5 o'clock this morning, if you are on our email list, you received another invitation to this meeting, you need to find that email, click on the link that is there to register, and then you'll be given the other link to sign into the Zoom meeting. We need to be sure that we have about 100 folks on that meeting, so if you've not yet registered, we'd encourage you to do that. Looking a little bit further out, we'll have a group going to Kenya later this summer, starting August 19th, to visit with our mission partners there that we've been involved in ministry with for a very long time. You are invited to go along on the trip, so be praying about that and if you're interested, be in touch with Gretchen Scruggs. A little closer in, on April 22nd, we will have our spring one day home building program down in Tijuana. If you wanna participate in international missions as part of this church, you only have to go 50 miles or so. So plan to be part of that as well. And then you have an insert in your bulletin today that lists the programs and events coming up in the Lenten season as well as Holy Week. Take that home and put that down on your calendar so you're sure not to miss out on any of the special things that are coming up. It is a special thing that we have the freedom and the opportunity to worship God. And as part of that worship, we bring our tithes and offerings to the Lord, signifying not only our financial support, but the support of our very lives in the ministry of Christ in the world. And so as this next musical piece is playing, if you feel so led, come to either one of the offering baskets that are here at the chancel and give to the work of the Lord. God bless. Thank mm-hmm. you.
1: Please be seated when we come to a time of prayer with God it's good practice to just take a moment and breathe deep let go of everything that you've been holding tight to just for a little bit so that we can come into God's presence free free space to listen and to be attended to by God's Spirit Let's go to God in prayer. Intimate God, we know your breath so well. When you exhaled, we began our living, and we count our heartbeats by the rhythm of your grace. Come near to us, Lord, and ease our ache to belong. It's not enough to strive. It's not enough to seek. It's not enough to explore, we want to be long. We want to be long, Lord, to you. We want to plant our roots in the soil of your mercy and feel the living water soak into our memories. And yet, even as we ask this, God, a shy awareness steals across our words. Do you know what you're asking? Your question hangs in the stillness, Lord, buzzing in our ears like a bee on its harvest journey. Do we know, kind Savior? Do we know what it means to walk this long Lenten road with you? Are we willing, O God, to put the needs of another before our own? Make us willing. Only you have any sway over our desires. Are we able to seek justice and love kindness, I don't know. The wars are raging. The streets are paved with the homeless. Despair runs rampant through our cities. What shall we do, Lord? Shall we sit down by the waters and weep for simpler days and easier times? But this isn't your way, is it? We are not in exile. You have rooted us in resurrection. You are the way the way to another way. And you would have us work and sweat reconciliation. You would have us break the loaf of peace and feed it to the world. And you would have us drink the cup of humility and serve you with joy. And because you live, because you are the light of the world, because the darkness cannot overcome you, because you ask we will not sit down and weep. We will lean into you so we can stand for you. We are leaning, Lord, and we are praying together as you taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven.
2: A reading from the Book of 2 Kings. At that time, the servants of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came up to Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to the city while his servants were besieging it. King Jehoiakim of Judah gave himself up to the king of Babylon, himself, his mother, his servants, his officers, and his palace officials. The king of Babylon took him prisoner in the eighth year of his reign. He carried off all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He cut to pieces the vessels of gold in the temple of the Lord, which King Solomon of Israel had made, all this as the Lord had foretold. He carried away all Jerusalem, all the officials, all the warriors, 10,000 captives, all the artisans, and the smiths. No one remained except the poorest people of the land. He carried away Jehoiakim to Babylon. The king's mother, the king's wives, his officials, and the elite of the land he took into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. The king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon all the men of valor. 7,000, the artisans and the smiths, 1,000, all of them strong and fit for war. The king of Babylon made Mataniah, Jehoiakim's uncle, king in his place and changed his name to Zedekiah. Now, a reading from Psalm 137 By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. And there we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs, and our tormentors asked us for mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. But how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither. Let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. And here is a reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way, and the unrighteous Their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord that He may have mercy on them and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. The Word of the Lord.
0: One of the reasons that I love the scriptures and one of the reasons that I continue to study every day and grow every day, and in fact, one of the reasons that you may love the scriptures and continue to study every day is because they are so honest about real life. What do I mean by that? There are some in the broader family of Christian faith who believe that the only message of the Gospels is about being happy, being successful in the way that the world thinks of success. There are some who preach and teach what others call a prosperity gospel. That all you have to do is believe in Jesus, and then everything will be perfectly wonderful and hunky-dory in life. There are some who preach and teach about feel-good religion, that once you accept Christ into your life, you will always be at peace, always be happy. And yet, real life is not so simple. And people who do believe and trust and follow often find themselves experiencing anything but prosperity and peace and happiness. When you read the Bible, the whole Bible, not just your favorite parts, not just the parts that are easy to memorize or make you feel good. When you read the whole Bible, what you find there is heartache, failure, violence, betrayal, defeat, destruction, and even death. In short, you will find everything common to human life, the bad along with the good. I'm sorry if you came here today expecting to feel better about everything all at once. Scripture is serious about the serious things of life. And it's only when you and I have been serious, when you and I have been honest and candid about the pain and suffering of life, only when we have fully examined and experienced the bad news of life, that we then finally can understand and believe and fully experience the good news of Jesus Christ. Yes, there is good news, but you cannot skip immediately to the good news without first going through the bad. And so today, on this first Sunday in Lent, if you hang with us, we will spend every Sunday, including Easter, thinking about the bad news of life, thinking carefully, honestly, fearlessly even, about the way that we sinful human beings tend to mess it all up for ourselves. Only when we do that, only when we go through this journey of Lent are we fully able then to wake on that morning when the news of resurrection is told. Today we're beginning a new series of sermons about exile. That's what everybody loves to talk about, isn't it? Exile. Put that in the title of your self-help book and it will stay on the shelves like (laughs) hotcakes. But let's talk about exile. Let's do so by getting a sense of the broad history of Israel as told in the Old Testament. That history, of course, begins with the creation. There's nothing to talk about unless there's the creation. The history continues as God comes to a certain man, a certain people, and says, you're going to be my people so that you can be an example to all people. Those people end up in slavery for hundreds of years, but then they are delivered to freedom through the exodus. They go to a new homeland, the promised land, where they become a prosperous and powerful nation. But it doesn't last long. Eventually, they are attacked by other nations, other empires, and eventually they are destroyed and most of the people of the nation are taken to exile. That's the broad overview of the history of Israel. It's a history that we'll engage as we start looking at one little section of scripture from the book of 2 Kings. Now, 2 Kings is not a sequel to first kings first and second kings tell the story of the history of Israel the only reason there's a second kings is because the book was so long it created such a huge scroll that they cut the scroll in half so they could carry it around hence you had first and second kings it's one story the story part of which i've just told you We engage the story as the southern part of Israel, the only remaining part of Israel, the northern part has been conquered by the Assyrians in 727, but now towards the end of the 600s, the southern part of Israel is being conquered not by the Assyrians, they were conquered by the Babylonians, but now the Babylonians are conquering the southern empire. They have surrounded Jerusalem, they have besieged Jerusalem, they have taken over the city of Jerusalem. And it is now the year 597 in the eighth year of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign. King Nebuchadnezzar was a typical king, very powerful and successful. But what you did if you were a conquering king in that era was to take The important people, the strong, powerful, intelligent, productive people of whatever country you conquered and you took them somewhere else, usually you took them back home to employ them in the economy of your own nation. We are told that the king himself, the king's mother, the king's family, the artisans, the craftsmen, the people of the temple, those who are strong enough to be soldiers, they are all deported, taken into exile in Babylon. Along with them, whatever remained of the gold treasures of the temple or of the king's palace were also taken. It is only the poor, the weak, the powerless who are left in Israel. Nebuchadnezzar picks a new king for Israel, a weak, vacillating, nearly useless person from part of the royal family. He is so powerless that Nebuchadnezzar gives him a new name, says you're not going to be known by the name you were known by. You're going to be given the name Zedekiah, The name Zedekiah means the righteousness of Yahweh. Nebuchadnezzar was poking fun at the Israelite people whom he had just conquered, poking fun and saying, your righteous God has no power, he's not worth anything, and neither are you. This was the first deportation, the beginning of what is called the Babylonian, Exile. If you've hung around church at all, you have heard about the Babylonian exile. This is it. We go to the 137th Psalm that was sung so beautifully a moment ago. The 137th Psalm is the only psalm out of all 150, that speaks directly about an actual historical event, the event of the exile. Many scholars believe that this psalm, written of course first as a poem, a prayer to be sung in worship, that it was written by the musicians of the temple who also had been taken away into Babylonian exile. Maybe they wrote this psalm after they were able to return. I like to think that they wrote it as they were exiled, as they were cut off, as they were separated from everything that had been important and meaningful and beautiful in life. As musicians, they had a question for God that was not just a musical question. It was a deeply profound rhetorical question How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? It is by the rivers of Babylon, the Tigris, the Euphrates that we sit down and weep because we're not sure if the Lord is here with us. How can we sing the Lord's song? This psalm is a psalm of lament. There's not a one of us here who likes to lament. But if we're honest... We must. We must engage in the grief and the sorrow and the pain and the suffering of the world. If we try to hide it, if we try to put it away, it destroys us from the inside. This is a psalm of depression, of anger, of tears. But it's also a psalm of remembering. We remember what it was like And we wonder if it will ever be as good again. We remember so that we will not forget and so that one day we might have hope again that God will be with us again. This psalm has sometimes been called the song of two cities,
2: Babylon.
0: Babylon was one of the largest cities of the ancient world. It was wealthy. It was powerful. Many of the treasures of Babylon have been taken from that city and now reside in museums in Western Europe. It was the home of the famous hanging gardens of Babylon. Babylon in the modern day still exists as a ruined city south of Baghdad. Actually, to be more correct, I think we should say that Baghdad is north of Babylon. Babylon was there first. Babylon has come to represent for people of the Judeo-Christian tradition everything about the world without God. Babylon. And then, of course, there's Jerusalem. We know about Jerusalem. Babylon doesn't exist anymore as a place. But dear Jerusalem, besieged Jerusalem, taken over again and again and again, conquered and pilloried and destroyed, people killed, people raped, people murdered, People ripped from their families. That's the history of the city of Jerusalem. But isn't it interesting that Jerusalem is still here? And so the psalm presents before us two of the hard realities of life. This sense that that we can be cut off from God, taken away from everything that is dear to us in life that leads us only into tears and suffering and sorrow, the lament of life. And then the other reality of remembering, remembering how good it once was. It's not just nostalgia. It is remembering what we once had that was good that we have no more, but maybe one day we hope to have again. Well, I would propose to you, and that's one of the reasons we're going to think about exile for several weeks now, I would propose to you that the issues and the questions and the challenges of the exile have an awful lot to teach you and me about matters of real life and matters of our real relationship with God, matters of the spiritual life the life that you and I are interested in because we're interested in following Jesus. So here's one of the first questions that the fact of the historical exile of the people of Israel raises for us. Is God everywhere? Or is God only where things are going well? In the ancient world, people believed in many gods, and they believed that gods were regional gods. There was no single god who was powerful enough to be god of everything, and so god was god of this city or that town, god of this valley or that mountaintop. As you traveled far away from the place where your god was, You were going to encounter other gods and you were not at all sure that they were benevolent and kind and so travel was a dangerous thing. The people of Israel had been taken several hundred miles from where they knew their God was but they were only beginning to learn the truth that their God was already where they were going. It's something that you and I take for granted now as an article of faith. But if the entire human culture has believed that there is no such thing as one single all-powerful God, then you can understand their fear, their concern, their misery at wondering if the God who had cared for them might be able also to care for them in this strange place. But the people of Israel began to learn And then began to teach the whole world that there is only one God, that this God is everywhere, and that he exists even in the experience of exile. There's another truth that we can learn. It is the truth that certain places and people and customs and culture are important, even vital, to maintaining, to learning, to exercising and practicing our faith. Think about this. The people of Israel had been taken away from their temple. Their priests were no longer allowed even to sing, perhaps. They had been taken away from their culture, from their families, from everything that had taught them about how to live in the world. But they began to learn that true religion is not about a single place or a single culture or even about a single nation, not even the holy nation of Israel. True religion is about people wherever they are. It's about a way of life wherever you are. It's about a connection with God wherever you are. It's about a conviction that even when everything seems lost and destroyed and taken away, still there is God with us. The people of Israel began to learn that they could continue to be God's people in this foreign place. And that takes us to the third thing we can learn here, that God always gives us new habits, new forms of faith, new ways of being in relationship with Him that are centered not on the temporal and ephemeral things of this world, but centered ultimately in God. The people of Israel. Deported to Babylon would be allowed to come back. They would rebuild their temple. It would be destroyed again, never to be built again. And so the people began to worship not in the temple, but in the synagogue, in gatherings of people together. The people of the nation began to learn that their existence as a nation had nothing to do with boundaries and armies and economies and politics and kings, but had everything to do about their identity as a people of God that transcended all other nations. That idea was picked up by the people of the first century who followed Jesus and begun to understand that the kingdom of God, the nation of God's people on earth was precisely that, a people who could live anywhere, at any time, in every nation, and in every place. We are part of that nation that has no boundaries. The people began to learn that one of the central things of faith, one of the central things that nourished their faith, that taught them about faith, that led them in the way of Jesus, was something that could not be taken away from them the Scriptures, the Word of God. We are people who believe that when we learn the Word of God, when we sing the Word of God, when we pray the Word of God, when we discuss the Word of God, when we encourage the Word of God in others and in ourselves, that then we are having a relationship with God. That Word doesn't need a building. Truth be told, that word doesn't even really need a book. Because where is God's word written? It is written in our hearts, it is written in our minds. And so the people of God began to learn that they needed to focus on the truth of the scriptures and that that truth is portable. You can take it anywhere. You can quote the scriptures and remember the scriptures from anywhere, including, do you remember famous, famously in, in one of the first capsules that went to the moon? So we learn that the experience of exile, whatever that experience might be, I'll bet that maybe only a handful of us here in this room have ever been literally forced away from our homelands, but we've all experienced exile in some way or shape or form, being ripped from what was familiar, from what was good, and finding ourselves lost and wondering and alone. In that experience of exile, we can learn that the Word of God still is active and true. We can learn that we can learn new ways to worship God that are tied to the truth of who God is because God is always there. As I've been preparing this series of sermons, not only have I been singing that song over and over in my head again that my college youth group sang incessantly by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. But I've also been thinking about an old friend named Ben Weir and one of his associates named Lawrence Jenko. Does the name Ben Weir mean anything to you at all? I see a couple of heads nodding. Ben Weir was actually the Reverend Ben Weir, Presbyterian minister and missionary into the Middle East in Lebanon. Lawrence Jenko was actually Father Lawrence Roman Catholic priest and missionary in Lebanon. In 1984, they were kidnapped by Islamic Jihad terrorists and they were held captive for 18 months. I met Ben when he was released and came back to this country and spoke about his experience. One of the stories that Ben told has always stuck in my heart. Not long after they had been captured, when they were worried about whether or not they would even be allowed to live, Ben and Lawrence were in the same cell together, and Lawrence said, we need to celebrate the Lord's Supper together because the Lord still is with us. And Ben said, That's a great idea. So somehow or other they found, I don't think they found any wine. I don't remember what they had. Might have just been water. Might have been that liquid yogurt that you drink in the Middle East. They found some kind of bread, probably pita bread. And Father Lawrence said to Ben, You start. And Ben said, I don't have my book. I don't know what to say. <laughs> and Father Lawrence said, You Protestants. <laughs> He had it all memorized. He led them in saying and performing the Lord's Supper together. I suppose all they would have needed was a rabbi, and you might have been able to make a joke out about this, right? But (laughs) what a beautiful story. A story that tells us no matter where you are, no matter what the circumstance of life that the community of God's people can celebrate God's presence by remembering him, by worshiping him, by telling the stories of faith again, by participating in the sacrament of Jesus' sacrifice and presence with us again. Some of you may have actually experienced literal exile. Some of you may feel that you are in exile now. But one of the great lessons we learn after we have lived through the pain of the exile is that even through that pain, God is there. That is why the prophet Isaiah would write these words. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near and let them return to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. No matter where you are, even lost in a foreign land, God has not lost you. Seek the Lord, and he will have mercy on you today and always. Amen.
1: Friends, let's stand together and affirm our faith. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us.
0: phrase, by the rivers of Babylon, is a phrase that I would propose could become part of the lexicon of your soul, because sometimes we are by the rivers of Babylon, not in the place where we want to be or should be, hopefully a place that is temporary, but always a place where God already is. By the rivers of Babylon, we sit down and we weep and wonder if we still can sing the Lord's song. But the Lord already has sung his song to us in the one who said, I am with you always, even to the close of the age. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you today and forever. Amen.